Hey, everybody. It is Crosstown Conversations, and I hope you missed me for the last couple of weeks, but I know you didn't because Christoph did such a great job. Christoph Mergerson, my producer, who this week is very busy getting his Bird Foot Festival off the ground for this weekend, and I hope you make some of those incredibly beautiful chamber music concerts that they're doing around town. Um, but today I'm back, and um, we're gonna we're gonna tear it up right now because we've got some very 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 important issues before the legislature as we speak. And I'll tell you what, guys, you know how I I talk to you about you got to get out there, you got to be a part of the system, you've got to have your voices heard. And right now, I mean, when I say now, I mean like now. We need to hear your voices on an issue that's coming up this afternoon in the legislature. I don't know what the total process is, but Joycelyn Reynolds, who's head of artist services for the New Orleans for the New Orleans for the Arts Council of New Orleans, is here with us, and she's going to explain to us what's going on. Can you believe that there is a legislator who who thinks that artists should just donate their artwork, and we're talking public art, so we're talking work that could cost anywhere from 10 to a lot more money just to make, just for materials. They should just donate this work. In other words, it'd be like, let's just say you're a waitress in a, in a restaurant, and, and the state would ask you to work for a month for nothing. They want the work to be donated before any uh, sales would be considered. Where on earth, what planet is this guy, what's his name? Dan Clater. Where is he coming from? Well, um, Gene, um, what happened is uh, the state started a Percent for Art program in 1999, and um, the way that provision is written, whatever buildings, if they're being renovated or built in their state building and they cost $2 million or more, then 1% of state money will be used for public art, you know, uh, in the building, outdoors, as part of the building. And um, that has been a very successful program for Louisiana. We are one of 28 states with a Percent for Art program. And so far, we have employed 128 artists, and 85% of those artists are Louisiana artists. Um, what happened was uh, with the building of the new um, medical center in New Orleans, um, some of the pieces were a little expensive. Uh, I know you guys probably have heard of Dale Chihuly. Chihuly, Chihuly. Chihuly yeah. yeah. And he, beautiful piece. Um, uh, not only is he a, a nationally known artist, but he's an internationally known artist. And you know what? He's been supportive of New Orleans. Mm -hmm. He has showed his work here. He has invited many artists from New Orleans, including Bob Tannen, my husband, who I refer to on the show frequently, um, to come out to the um, to the uh, summer program they have and and make art and pay their way and expenses and so on. He's a generous artist. He gives back. Correct. That's a very important element to all the yeah. people in the creative world. They give back. Yeah. Well, in this legislative session, um, a lot have changed. For example, the um, ta um, tickets are now being taxed, nonprofit tickets. 
um, memberships for nonprofits are being taxed. So that happened a few weeks ago. Now the next thing is um, a, a bill came out that would cap the 1% to $450,000. So if you're talking about a billion-dollar project, $450,000 isn't enough money. So to it's no longer have, 1%. Yes, it's no longer 1%. And, and, if it, and, and let's just be clear. If it, if it is a project of that dimension, mm-hmm. it's a big facility Correct. with plenty of room to Correct. show art. And by the way, folks, wouldn't you much rather walk into a lobby of a hospital when you're sick and have some colorful art around you rather than sterile green walls? <laughs> Right? You would. That's what it's all about. It's about enhancing our environment, too. It's not just about, you know, finding work for artists, which is important. So the bill that's being considered was 450000 and a legislator added only if we can't get artists to donate work, which makes no sense. Because you're paying the contractors. Why wouldn't you pay the artist? You're paying everyone else involved with the project. You're limited... You're limiting the art that you're purchasing, and now you want to ask artists, you know, well-trained artists to donate their work? Who's going to feed their families? How are they going to make a living? You know, the thing about Louisiana, everyone in this world thinks about the arts and culture of Louisiana. People come here from around the world. We just had our jazz fest a few weeks ago. People love New Orleans, the music, the culture, the Mardi Gras Indians, the art. We have public art around the city of New Orleans. And then, you know, these legislators, why would they even come up with such a provision? Makes no sense. Makes no sense at all. Why would they, though? Really, has anybody actually talked to this guy and asked him where he's getting this idea from? Well, something tells me he doesn't drive to Baton Rouge as a legislator for free. You know, I mean, so the provision... Yeah, who pays for his gas? (laughs) So um, we did hear from a legislator who said that he was going to uh, reject the amendment, that amendment. So we're hoping that's going to happen. And how can you you, uh, get involved? You need to go and and send an email. Go to louisianacitizensforthearts.org. It's, let me make sure I'm giving you the right... Uh, yeah, LouisianaCitizensForTheArts.org, and it takes you one minute to send information to your legislators, to your representative and your senator, telling them how crazy this is. This makes no sense whatsoever. You know, Joycelyn, uh, last year, uh, it, it may be a little bit longer than a year because I have no sense of time anymore, but um, a number of Tulane students helped um, the Creative Alliance go mm-hmm. out into Treme on a door-to-door basis and mm-hmm. ask people, was there somebody in that household who was involved in some way in one of the creative mm-hmm. design industries, whether it's costume design mm-hmm. or, or furniture design, building arts. When you build a house, that's a creative mm-hmm. design occupation. And out of 100 households that we surveyed, fully 50% plus plus of them had somebody who was a creative producer in that household. So we're talking about your kids, Mm -hmm. your sister, your mama, Mm -hmm. your neighbor, 
your cousin. We're talking about the people that you live and work with who who happen to use their creative talent to make a living. Correct. You know, it's not it's like I think some people think artists just have fun. You know what? I know what their lives are like. It's torture because they are making art sometimes into the wee hours. They've got some day job in a restaurant or in a hotel. Um, they're teaching. They're raising the family. And they're trying to make art at the same time. One of the things that people don't understand is how hard it is for people to actually make that stuff that enhances our life. Mm-hmm. And the Arts Council, we have an arts market in Palma Park the end of every month, and we have as many as 400 artists that have been adjudicated into that um, festival. And it's a wonderful art market, and it's all original artwork. And people come, especially from out of town, especially in the uh, around November, December, you wouldn't believe how much art is sold at the art market. And this really impacts those individuals' lives. And, hello, we're talking about the revolving of money in the economy. So every dollar that that artist made is being spent on cleaning bills, on going out to eat with the family, with clothes for the kids. Mm -hmm. That's money that's being spent in our community, and that's something people don't tend to... So, you know, y'all, you can keep talking and listen to my show, but um, I want you to... Hear this, Louisiana Citizens for the Arts dot org. I'm going to say it again, Louisiana Citizens for the Arts dot org. Get on there, spend that one minute, send the message. Who's that going to go to? That is going to go to your your legislators, your senator, and your representatives to directly to their email. And so far, we have had. Thousands of emails sent through the Louisiana Citizens for the Arts. All right. All right. So add your thousands, y'all. Let's let's get the point home. And um, we have a lot more to do going forward. I mean, this is a broader issue. Right now we're trying to head off a, a tragedy, really. A, a, a very, very stupid idea. Just one of those things that certain kinds of people in politics who are have an axe to grind and a career to build and well, you know what, don't Jean, really get it. It's like um, you know having a wedding and hiring the band and telling them, "Hey, we're going to feed you dinner." You know, not realizing these are professionals. They have gone to school to play their instruments, to learn how to sing. I have my daughter, for example, has just been accepted to Juilliard. She's graduating from NOCA. You know, she has been working on her craft since she was seven. And now she is going to actually Curtis Institute of Music, but she was accepted to Juilliard. So, and and, and what this also goes back to, the thing that I say all the time, is that the percentage of people in our schools and in our lives and in our neighborhoods that are involved in creative pursuits is astronomical as compared with anywhere else. But yet again, we're not seeing the support for them in many, many ways. And, and our organization, your organization, and we're about to talk to another organization that's involved with one of the other creative pursuits that is also under attack in the legislature. And this is the film industry. And I'm going to roll right into this is this is another absolutely crazy, insane um, phenomena that's happening in the legislature where people think 
Oh, the tax credit for the filmmakers is a bad idea. Let's see now. It's a bad idea to have a film made in Louisiana that hires people as extras and costume makers and furniture builders and set constructors and you tell me all the professions I have. So you've been you've been um, you, you've been listening to the Arts Council. Talk now. We're going to hear the Louisiana Film Entertainment. Entertainment. You can say it, association. Association. (laughs) Folks who are also involved with a film studio um, in Chalmette, which, by the way, has been hiring people who were were kicked off the platforms during this this oil crash that we've been going through and and employing people um in in the in the film work and right now we're experiencing a a fall off in our business as a result of somebody up there who thought it was a good idea to cap just like Joycelyn was just saying $450,000 instead of a million of 1% 1% mm-hmm. um that's a cap and and they're talking they they slapped on a cap last spring and what happened as a result, Jimmy Hornbeek and Jason Wagensback? What happened as a result of that? Well, Talk into the mic, guys. Uh, yes, I will. Um, you know, I, I'm going to go back to uh, St. Bernard Parish first off. A parish that was ravaged really took on uh, over the last two years um, multiple film projects that gave the economy, the local economy, such a boost. You mentioned about the 80 oil uh, laid-off oil workers that were hired on the film Deepwater Horizon because they needed to build a rig. Um, it's, um, you know, I don't think we really understand uh, as citizens what's actually uh, what the film industry is doing on the sidelines. Um, you know, we hear from our lawmakers. The, the preparation for the making of the films. Yeah, we hear from our lawmakers the, you know, what is the return. And just to state, you know, in the lawmakers, in their report, um, you know, it, uh, we, Louisiana, uh, the film has impacted on Louisiana's economy over $1 billion in sales, $760 million in wages, close to 13,000 jobs um, supported by film, and every dollar spent, $4.82 was spent in Louisiana. I mean, you can't – if you went out and tried to build a company, bring a company to Louisiana and provide 13,000 jobs, you would be hard-pressed to do that. Jason, yeah. what, what, what's happened as a result so we've seen a we've seen a dramatic decline in uh, the amount of films that have wanted to come here, just due to a lot of the misperception of what's happened in the legislation from July 1st of last year. It's been tough to re-educate uh, not only studios but re-educate legislators so that they can understand the direct impacts that has affected our business. And now we're eight months in to that direct effect, and we're seeing a negative impact. We're down 72 percent just in applications alone in the state. Uh, for people that are wanting to come and film for future uh, uh, productions coming to the state of Louisiana. So, again, it's, it's a lot more about uh, educating right now, curbing misperceptions. We realize that a, you know, a cap isn't the, the end-all, be-all. It actually sat at what we normally actually pay out on an annual basis at $180 million. We were okay with that. But it was all the other nuances that came with the bill that was rushed through legislation in the last five minutes, mm-hmm. literally the last five minutes on the last day. Uh, on June 30th. So that's kind of what is really making this ripple effect uh, in the negative uh, perception of the film industry. But and isn't it kind of a, also a, 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 an uncertainty factor, right? If you're, the film business, uh, it, it, it's not something you do over one night. 
you know, it, it takes years to bring a film project to reality, right? Describe to me just a little bit, you know, how a film is put together and all the elements that are involved. Because the, the other thing that happens, if, if you have this uncertainty and people start feeling like they, 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 you're not going to see them coming, next thing you know, the actors and actresses and the builders and the costume makers and, the, and so on, they drift away. And all those people <clears throat> live here when they're doing these films. And that's, that's yet another sort of way that the industry generates income in the community. Just, just to give your listeners a little background, um, the, the industry, right now where we're suffering from is uncertainty, just like you said. Um, it's a financial um, model that's built as you move into a film. And when they don't know if they're going to get their tax credits back, that's where people stop. Uh, financiers want to know that if we put up our money, when will we get them back? So when we went July 1 of last year and changed the laws, as Jason just mentioned, um, we we set into motion an uncertainty, will we get these tax credits? Because we suspended the buyback for a year, of uh, which was the state was buying back at 85 cents. And, you know, I don't believe that we really took in uh, account how much we would be, um, how much, it, what impact it would have on us throughout the state. I, 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 I have to tell you, actually, that I was uh, kind of surprised that um, it, it had as much impact as I thought it was going to have. Um, uh, you know, uh, that, 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 that it has had. Because I thought that in the end, when the legislation got passed, I heard that, okay, this is not good, this is not a good direction, but it's not that bad. But somehow the industry got freaked out by it, huh? And we're hearing from all of the ancillary industries outside of just the film industry alone. You're getting calls from the Restaurant Association, the hotels. All of them are noticing a dramatic effect that directly affects their bottom line in this fourth quarter of last year. And so in January and February of this past year, they started contacting all of us at LFEA to say, guys, what is it that we can do to help? We're feeling the impacts as well. We would notice the producers and the amount of people that were coming in, not only from out of town, but the amount of people that were working in our area, brought to that area from all over Louisiana that were working on specific films from six to nine months of the time. We're not seeing them in our restaurants. We're not seeing them in our hotels. We're not seeing them buying the goods and services that they would normally buy on a regular basis, and it hurts. So what is it that we can do to get involved? And that's just the hotels and the motels. We're hearing it from the lumber yards. There was a gentleman yesterday, or excuse me, on Monday, Monday. at the, uh, um, the Revenue and Fisk Committee that came out from Markel Lumber. This gentleman said that he's down a significant amount since the film industry has kind of hit its lull. And he had told a really nice and interesting fact in the fact that an average movie, an average movie to us is between 15 and $25 million, normally would buy in lumber alone uh, up to what 50 houses would buy in lumber alone to supply the build out for those houses. That's for just one, one movie. movie. That's amazing. You see, here's, here's the thing. Uh, I, again, you, you're dealing with perceptions, right, misperceptions. Yes. Just like we were talking about with the artists, that people have the misperception that, oh, artists, they just have fun. They don't really work. Um, and, and I think that when you hear these multi-million dollar numbers and you know how much the stars make, you think, oh, these are just a bunch of rich people whining because they're not getting richer. When the fact of the matter is, I don't, I don't know what the percentage is, but the number of people who are probably in lower and middle income status 
who work on films is by far greater than the handful that happen to be up in the stratosphere that are the ones who attract the money that is used to pay everybody else. Well, we do have an oversight problem. You're talking about tracking money, and we can get into that in a second. But I want to create a bit of a mythbuster here regarding the perception of the Tom Cruises of the world and their $10 million salaries. You need to understand that that $10 million salary is few and far between. You only have a very few of those of those films that come to here, come to Louisiana, I should say, that have actors with that large of a salary. But when they do, that $10 million salary is attached to a $150 million movie. And guess what? $150 million is spent in the state of Louisiana before they even get one tax credit. 140. Right. 140 you know, out of the 10. And, but, and secondly, I just want to add one more thing. Tom Cruise is also paying yes. withholding tax on that $10 million. So the state is getting taxes on that salary that he's actually creating here in this state, just as you would if you were a football player or an athlete. It's the same regard. 2609265, folks, if you want to join this conversation. But, um, in, again, $150 million spent in the state. One of the things that really galled me last spring, going into the session, there was a big scandal. That was was uh, one of those things that um, you know Lee um, uh, Zerk, huh? Lee Zerk. Lee Zerk. You know, it was a bone that he just couldn't stop chewing on, and he just went on and on and on about how they got I don't know whatever they got too much money that they shouldn't have gotten it. But he never balanced that story, to my knowledge, and I could be wrong, but I don't remember one story that he did that actually filled in the blanks and told the rest of the story about how much money is being spent in the state and the value of this. And that was part of the problem. That goes back to the misperception. So everybody thinks, oh, they're all in here just scarfing up money. Daryl, what you got? Okay, Jan, I need some help with this, too, because um, I'm hearing so much about even a, a, a top actor who will get a $10 million salary. And like, I don't know if those taxes fall off that salary stay here. Or not, or they go, or they leave this uh, this state. Now, secondly, Dan, he mentioned about what the hotel and motels can do to help. But Dan, uh, about three years ago, the big story was the hotel, the hotels and motels were not paying the hotel motel taxes. And uh, and I have not heard a follow-up story that said that the city is up to date with the taxes being paid by the hotels. And motels. I think the, I think the account was seventy-five to ninety percent of the hotels in this city do not pay taxes. The hotel uh, motel tax. Uh, uh, you know that is the first. I have to admit, Daryl, that's the first time I ever heard that. I don't believe that's true because, for one thing, this, the 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 uh, tourism industry gets its income from a percentage of the taxes that they pay to the state. So if they ain't paying their their Taxes, they ain't getting any money to spend. So I, I really that's don't think right. that that's correct. I don't know where you okay. heard that, but I don't think that's correct. That's, that's okay, Jan, but i tell you what, I'll, I'll forward it to you, and um, uh, I'll talk to you maybe next week. But thank you, though, for taking my call. I, I appreciate it, and I will I'll look that up. But, you know, as I say, my information is that they're paying up to they, – they may not pay as much as they're supposed to pay. Who, who does? I'd like to know who pays as much taxes as they would like. But um, – uh, uh, I want to reiterate to the gentleman who just called in the 6% withholding tax. You know, if you think about it, in order for them to pay Tom Cruise $10 million, 
they've got to be making a substantial size movie. As Jason just mentioned, it's a $150 million movie can pay a $10 million salary to an actor, you know. And so that money's spent throughout the state. The second piece is the 6% withholding. You know, the other piece is people don't ever walk over and realize that our Saints players, our Pelican players, you know, they're... I was they're, just about you know, to say that. I mean, it's it's not, okay to pay well, the, no, I mean, no, the they athletes. Even, you know, they, uh, they, what, $30 million leaving, is you know, one they, of the they, average amounts yeah, that they get paid it's a, a year? It's a little different. And if I could point out something else, and I'm just going to use Lawrence Scott directly here, and if we take, you know, a Tom Cruise movie at $150 million, okay, and in Lawrence Scott's study, he supported uh, that... It, it, now, who's Lawrence Scott? Let's tell Lawrence Scott here. is a, uh, a consultant. He's an, econo- he's an, um, he's an economist and professor at LSU who was hired by LED to do a study in 2014 regarding the film industry. And one of his stats that he came out to was the fact that every dollar spent by the film industry, $4.82 was put back into Louisiana's economy. So let's take a $150 million dollar movie. <laughs> $150 million movie. Let's just take that into account. And let's round up to $5 so to call it So 40 times $150 million is what? So $150 million I'm not a good math. times 5 would be $750 million is put into our economy for Tom Cruise to come here and spend $10 million. What's wrong with that? I have no problem with those percentages. Mm-hmm. But we need to look at what's actually going into the economy, guys. You need to look at the math in a different way. People are pointing the math out in skewed sort of references. And the fact that it's going to the local economies, and nobody's accounting for that. It's hard to account for all those numbers that are going to Chalmette, to New Orleans, to Jefferson, to Shreveport. It's tough to calculate the taxes that are going into those parishes directly from the film industry. So when you take this 23 cents that you hear about all the time, and I want to myth-bust that as well, 23 cents is the only is the amount that's only going back to the state in state taxes alone. So every dollar spent, they've already said it, every dollar spent, $4 comes back, $4.82 comes back to the state. But only 23 cents of it goes back directly to their coffers because all the other taxes from every other parish are not being accounted for. They're not being able to capture that. Uh, it's it's a, that, it's a capture issue. Yeah. So it's actually being, you know, the, the estimates. When you say capture in terms of the information. Right. The, yeah. What's coming back into the state. Yeah. You know, it goes out from Baton Rouge. It goes back in a lot of different places. It doesn't go right back into Baton Rouge. You know, the impact from film productions, the low estimate is $1 billion and the high is $1.6 billion per year. You know, the local economies enjoyed this year. And I'll give you an example that's a little bit more concrete. In St. Bernard Parish, we have uh, of last year, I, I want to say it was last year, they leased out over 300000 in their municipal buildings. And those that, that 300000 goes to pay for streets, and, you know, and, and, and different things. So if you pull that, they, they, they wouldn't have gotten that income, you know, so... Yeah, I, I don't want to keep throwing stats at you, but 32... Yeah, listen, throw away, because I think, again, people have this the wrong impression <laughs> from that one story with that one company that was abusing the system, and they got caught for it. Well, Louisiana started this in 2002. 32 other states currently have a film tax credit incentive program. Four others are trying to get theirs back that they discontinued because they realized the impact that it had on their state. You have so many studies done in every other market and every other state from non-biased outside third parties that state that the economic impact is anywhere between 3 and $6.50 to each of those states per dollar spent in the film industry. That's amazing. Georgia is saying that they have a $6 billion economic impact right now 
because of the film industry, and it's there to stay. And some of that is stuff that came from here to there. That's correct. We lost business to Atlanta. I don't like losing business to Atlanta, <laughs> Georgia, <laughs> Dallas, Houston, any of those other big cities that 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 shadow us. And we, but, we lost we lost business to our citizens too. We had uh, at the uh, we had a hearing which they're reviewing, and if you were to take the 485 tax credit programs that are out there and you were to rank them by the benefits that they produce, more than likely film is going to come out at the top with its 13,000 jobs and the amount of the economics that we've been talking about. You would see that we probably perform. There are some tax credits that don't give back zero. So I, I think that's important. Secondly, we were able to, for the Senate uh, hearing, to provide 1,800 testimonies across the state that allows uh, small businesses and individuals to say how they have been impacted by the film business. Uh, we took the core of those people, like five of them. One uh, had a sand. Um, sand pits in St. Francisville? Yes, yeah, sand pits in St. Francisville. The, the person that Jason was just speaking about, Marco Lumber, um, they buy lumber from probably 10 or 12 parishes throughout the state. From Those are the suppliers. So the states are indirectly building these sets and, and having to be, you know, uh, so anyways. And, and, you know, one of the things I want to point out, well, I'm going to take Shedrick first on line two, but uh, I, one of the things I want to point out is that it, it's not all big, huge black blockbusters with Tom Cruise at the top. You've got a lot of small independent productions. You know, like, for example, one of my favorite shows is not one of my favorite shows, but one of my favorite examples of a show that we like, uh, the fact that it's on the air all the time, is the Duck Down Dynasty show. Shedrick. Hello, hello. Hi, what you got? Hi, I was also at that meeting this past Monday, just like I was there last year. I work in the film industry. I'm a teamster, Local 270. We are the the wheels of the film industry. And what they're not taking in consideration is uh, the, the... You're not the, the big wheels, the you're just the wheels. <laughs> Sorry, go the ahead. The indirect re, you know, return that we're getting back. But what I did was, at the end of that meeting, and I hope that your listeners would do it as well, as I went up to the chairman of that committee, as well as some of his fellow senators, and asked them to do this one thing. And I did it on my phone form where they could see it. Google the financial impact of the film industry to the state of Georgia, and what they saw made their eyes pop open because it said it said six billion dollars. Right now, the state is facing a deficit of two billion dollars. We could use that money, and a lot of that Georgia has gained come from here. So, at any rate, to to the to the WBOK listening audience, please Google the financial impact of the film industry. Uh, has, what it has done to the state of Georgia, and we could use that here. And again, I emphasize, Frederick, that um, uh, Georgia and Atlanta has gotten business partially because we put right. that cap on and freaked everybody out, and next thing you know, some of the films that would have come here went there. But yeah. go ahead. You know, what, what's unfortunate is they look at us challenging the oil and gas industry when our number one commodity is fuel. Uh, and we're, we, they can look at us as the little sister industry to oil and gas. Because when oil and gas was high, it did bless the state. But now the state needs to look at diversifying its 
portfolio in go. reference to businesses. And this is now and you're singing my song. Yeah. This is an industry that never has a recession because America's favorite pastime is not baseball. It's being entertained through television and film. Go, Cedric. You are telling the story. You are, you are truth to tell here. This is the whole point that I keep trying to make. We have to diversify. One of the reasons we're in the toilet right now is because we had all our eggs in the oil basket. And when right. you do and that, that's like one of the big no-nos for any country, any city, any community is depending on one source of income. If something goes wrong with that, you are screwed. And that's okay. why we're in the shape that we're in and why we're having to cut scholarships for kids. Give me a break. And you know what? I'm also former student body president of Southern University at New Orleans, 95 through 99, two years, whereas all of us, the state uh, SGA presidents, we supported Tops program. Back then, it was fifty million dollars. We never foresaw it going to two hundred million dollars a fiscal year. So once again, if you're gonna, if the state is gonna be in the business of giving scholarships, then the state need to be in the business of getting industry here to help pay for it. And the film industry is a viable industry, which brings more money here indirectly. You know, they're looking at the ROI, the rate of return. Uh, to every dollar the state gets in, what they're saying is they're only getting 20, 23 cents back directly. But indirectly, you're not looking at the, 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 the steel company. Matter of fact, in, as I, once again, I'll say as I close, there was a steel company in Canada that was about to shut down, but because there was a, a film in reference to the oil field, they needed steel, so they bought over a million dollars worth of steel. Now that company is not only still open, its employees are working, and they have two new brand-new trucks because of the film industry patronizing that one particular business. Jason. So, Shedrick, real quick, I want to, hey, thank you all for the, your support, by the way, but uh, I do appreciate you coming down to all these things at the Capitol and speaking your, your voice about it. I want to parlay real quick on the diversity. I don't know if anybody knows this or not, but you maybe should also Google it. What is the fastest growing curriculum in our education today? Digital media. At UNO, I believe. And do you it's know the film that there curriculum. are more film curriculums now in the state of Louisiana at these universities than there's ever been in the last five years? Why? Because they notice that there are 13,000 jobs annually that are provided by us, and they're trying to educate and keep their their. They don't want the brain drain, if you will, and I'm one of them. I moved away to New York to come back here to be in the film industry in a diverse industry that's actually paying a great wage and allowing me for to, to, to build my career and my family here back at home. So those things need to be taken. And I'm going I'm to also back you um, up and say that <clears throat> for every direct job created in this state by the film business, two indirect jobs are created. And you have to think about that. For every direct job the film industry creates, two indirect jobs are being created. Secondly, you were talking about the money. It's a $60,000 average salary in the film industry. In St. Bernard Parish, it's 30, uh, 31 in Orleans Parish, it's an average salary of 37000 In the state, the average salary is 41000 So if you look at the average salary in the state is 41000 and you realize that we're paying 60000 and often you don't need an education. You need some training in order to get some of those jobs. But right. So that's, you know, just to confirm that. You know, and, and, and I just want to emphasize, too, you were talking a minute ago about educating kids uh, to, for the film business and for the digital media business in general. General. Uh, if I read one more story about what 
are we going to do about the crime problem? As if it's a mystery. It's not a mystery. It is an absolutely obvious thing that if you don't have opportunity, if you don't have jobs, if you don't have a future, you're out on the street figuring out how to survive. And that leads to really bad things for a lot of people. And so don't ask me and don't try to get me to, to work on more police, deal with the judicial system. No, it's about education and it's about these jobs. So if you're sending the kids to school and you are educating them for this kind of economy, which is what it's all about, we're in a revolution. We're in a totally transforming world economically. It's all about the creative industries. Can creative industries, guys, thing, I just want to – yes, sir. Excuse me for interrupting you. No, you that's fine. We heard, I'll just go we heard on. a bunch of senators say, well, some senators say the state is broke. The state is broke. But what, but what should have been asked of them is, is this your first term? And if they said no, well, you know what? You're part of the problem because you did not stand up to the former governor and fight him, which put our state in this current financial situation. Shedra, can I hire you to come? <laughs> to, you need to come and help me fight my fights and trying to get the rest of these people in this state to understand the creative you know, industry. My concern is some of the people that were talking were afraid. That, you know, the senators were some of them, one of them in particular from northern Louisiana, he was very aggressive. But you know what? I wish I would have been at that podium because I would have been aggressive back. You, mister, are a part of the problem. Yeah, You've a... been there for however many terms. You're a part of the problem. Don't put it on the film industry. Don't put it on education because originally gambling, the lottery, and the casinos, we voted for because it was supposed to go to help education. Um. Uh, Jimmy, I want yes. you to kick in here with well, – let's name there's some, some names. actions. Let's there's, name some names. Uh, there's some actions that you can do. If you're listening to the show, um, take the time to contact some of these who were really adamantly opposed. Uh, we had Senator Neil Reiser. Uh, he is um, – he can be found on the, um, on the website for the state, uh, which is, uh, is um, Louisiana State Senate. Is that right? Um, and then the next one is uh, Senator Jay Luno, L-U-N-E-A-U. Uh, take your time and call them and tell them you want to support the creative industries and the film industry, that it's important for the overall, you know, in so many ways. Uh, Senator Troy Brown, actually, from Napoleonville, Louisiana, he was another one. Take your time to call it. Also, we ask that if you have an inkling of interest in your heart, that you take the time to go to LFEA.org and that you consider being a helper to us at LFEA.org. There's a place you can become a member. You, you need to say to that a little slower. Thank you. At LFEA.org, which so stands that's... for Louisiana Film and Entertainment Association. And there's a button on there. How can I help or how can I support? We ask that you consider doing that. Thank you. You know, and please do not forget, we need people. If you're in support of the film industry, please call Senator Karen Carter-Peterson, because she's not directly in support of it either. And I believe she, like the other senators, need to hear more from what? businesses that are beneficial, you know, that are benefiting from this industry. Karen Carter-Peterson? Please, make sure you have a diverse front when you are fighting, because some of those senators, there were what, one, two, three, there were four African-Americans. So they can see other folk or see them, you know, it's just important to have a diverse front. 
All right. So look, Karen Carter Peterson. I, I I am just in disbelief. I can't. I, I don't. Where could she possibly be coming from? She lives in New Orleans. She ought to know better. Five six. I'm gonna get calls on this. Five six eight eight three four six. That's that's Karen's phone number. Five six eight eight three four six. Give her a call, folks. She needs to hear from you. Um, now, Senator Moret, Paul Morell, he, he's in support, right? Yes. But you know what? He needs to know that you, you know that he's in support and that you support him. So you give him a call, and he's at 284-4794. So you let him know, too. Who else we got? Uh, how's Troy Carter on this? Oh, we, we didn't know. We don't know. You don't know. Okay, so 302-3682, Troy Carter, your buddy. You live next door to him. You know him. 302-3682, give him a call. Guys. I tell you, um, Senator Senator J.P. Morrell, on behalf of the Teamsters, thank you. This man met with us on a Sunday at Phil's Ballroom to talk about the film ministry. Senator J.P. Morrell, thank you very much. Senator Wesley Bishop, thank you. Representative Joseph Boy, thank you. You know what? Shedrick, thank you. Is that your name, Shedrick? Yes, ma'am. Born and raised New Orleans, Louisiana. Our Lady of Lewis, St. Augustine, and Southern University at New Orleans. You go, Shedrick. And and, um, I I, I got your phone number, you know. (laughs) I took your phone number down. You're going to hear hey, from you. us. Whatever I can do to help <laughs> New Orleans okay. and to help uh, Because a part of the crime problem is the lack of jobs, the lack of money. Who'd have thought? Thank you so much. Guys, I'm, I'm closing in. I, I've got to get my friend Jebney. Did we get Jebney on the line yet? Have we got him? Because if not, we'll keep talking. But um, Jebney Lewis is a young artist who has put together this kind of bizarre but really amazing work with um, with uh, uh, steel plates in the shape of our wards going out, getting sounds from the different wards from high school students, connecting those sounds to each of those steel plates representing a ward, and then the music gets all kind of chopped up, like sort of like sampling, but only radically, and then you come into the room and, and, and you hear this cacophony of sounds from all of the neighborhoods of the city in this, in this work. It's quite amazing, and it's, and it's going to be on view uh, at our, the Creative Alliance of New Orleans' creative space on the third floor of the Myrtle Banks building where the new market, Dryas Market, has just opened in. If you haven't been there yet, you've got to get there. It's gorgeous. It has a bar. You drink a cocktail and you go shopping. It has an oyster bar, and the oyster bar is just one of the best I've ever been to. It's so super wonderful. So you go there, and then you go up to the third floor, and you see the artwork. We also have art by Willie White, who was a central city artist, a self-taught artist. He made his art. He hung it on a clothesline on his porch, and we've got 40 works of his up there. The first time ever a really full survey of his work, and I'm very proud of it, and I want you to see that too. So um, make sure that uh, that you check in on that. Um, ha- so we haven't been able to get – we ha- Jebney's on the line? Oh, cool. All right. Yeah, just, I'm here. Oh, hey, Jebney. Hey, cool. All right, so just before – so how was that? Was that a reasonable presentation on, on what you're doing? 
Oh, uh, I, I don't know, Gene. I just cut in just a moment. Oh, you ago. didn't I hear just it. Heard the presentation on Willie White. Okay, stuff, stand, stand by, good. stand by one second. I just want to um, close out for for just a, a, a quick second on the Arts Council's concern, and and let's give them the Arts Council information one more time, and and a, a number for you guys too. Okay. Um, if you're interested in helping artists, you want to go to Louisiana Citizens for the Arts and .org and um, send information to your area legislators. Louisiana. Louisiana Citizens for citizens the Arts. Citizens for the Arts. For the arts .org. .org. And if you have any questions, you can reach me on my direct line, Joycelyn Reynolds, 504-595-8471. One more time. One more time. 504-595-8471. I'm going to have to tell people at the beginning of my shows from now on to have their their ink pens and their pads all ready to take these notes down. Joycelyn, thank you so much for coming in. And, guys, Jimmy and Jason, final words. Yes, we just wanted to um, remind everyone to please take the time and engage your lawmakers, let them know how you feel. Um, and then secondly, we asked, we, we plead, please go to LFEA.org and uh, there's a join now button. There's some, uh, you can, there's a way to donate. There's a, there's a lot of ways that you can help uh, and we could use the help right now. So if you want to keep the film industry in Louisiana, uh, if you want to keep these 13,000 jobs, please consider going to the website LFEA.org and uh, taking action. And, you know, just, just uh, let me just ask you this question. If somebody's interested in working in the film industry and they haven't yet gotten a job, how would you direct them? Where do they need to go to say, I want to work on a film? Uh, the best place to kind of start if you're looking for the proper education is NOVAC. NOVAC puts on a fantastic program over there, and they do a lot of great placement of jobs. Uh, so that's the New Orleans Video Access Center. That's correct. But actually what I meant, um, that's for somebody who really wants to work in the actual filmmaking. But what about some of these other jobs? And they want to find out where are those jobs. Is there like any kind of a job clearinghouse for the film industry? If not, there ought to be. I agree. There needs to be a little bit of better organization of that. Um, there have been a lot of people who've kind of, there was so many jobs available, or excuse me, so many jobs that were actually going on over the last four and five years that it was kind of easy to meet somebody that was in the industry and kind of work your way in. And now that uh, there isn't as much work going on, we do need to really kind of organize and find out how to place people. Okay. But you can go to uh, the New Orleans Film Commission site or the State That's Film Commission thinking. site, yeah. and they'll be able to help place you and advertise for you, showing a listing of what it is that your craft is so that you can possibly get picked up on a film. Guys, thank you so much for coming in, and uh, let's let's keep the pressure on. Come back and tell me update, uh, and let's just keep keep the story going out because it's nothing like repetition. We all know how that works, and 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 I am now going to take on. You know, Jebney, I, I just want you to comment for the for the folks who are here still. Joycelyn was talking about the craziness of not paying an artist for his work. How many hours did you put into this? wild piece and I did describe it your plates of steel representing the wards of the city and the and the voices and the sounds that were collected from the neighborhoods by students connecting up electronically to these plates how many out man hours man and woman hours went into producing that work about oh 
I mean, it, it's hard to say, and it, it, it's not just my labor. It's the labor of Rick Snow, who's um, a professor at Tulane and uh, and a composer, and also of Chris uh, Spenger, who's a writer. So, I mean, all three and of all the kids and all the kids that worked on it with the you, teachers, and also that the other um, you know participants put in. I would say at, at least you know two or three hundred hours. I mean, it, it's been so. Let, let's just do minimum wage. We're talking. Let's let's do something like what? What's five dollars an hour times that? And and they want you to do that for nothing. That's <laughs> that's what we're talking about. The yeah. state wants wants artists to donate their work for public art instead of the one percent program. I'm sorry. I just had to go back to that for a minute. Tell me about your piece. It is so creative. It is so. Different. It's like nothing I've ever seen before, and I want to understand. It's called Songs of Home, Songs of Change, and 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 it's got a real highfalutin description here. I I went with a sort of people's description, but this is that it's a cartographic audio installation piece, collaboratively created by the sculptor, the composer, the music artist, and 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 kids from big class Sci Academy, a Sci Academy rather, Net Chartered High School, and Bard Early College of New Orleans, and, and Lusher. I, 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 where did this idea come from? Uh, it originated the the whole project has come um, out of a Studio in the Woods residency that I was you know lucky enough to to be chosen for, um, and. The initial proposal had to do with, um, I, I became really fascinated with the photograph actually that's in the McDonald's on Canal Street um, of the New Orleans Freeway Interchange. From it's, a, it's an aerial photograph. And I started to think about how the, the forms of the freeway, um, you know, which the construction of which were a really kind of, in a lot of ways, destructive cultural force, um, you know, they... Uh, displaced a lot of people and also cleaved a lot of neighborhoods, but also how people used the architecture of those freeways um, creatively in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I live close to the Claiborne um, overpass. and um, So you're a regular parade-goer. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a regular parade-goer, and, and I, I also pay a lot of attention to the acoustic environment of the, the place I'm in, and that that space, those, anywhere there's a freeway overpass, as anybody who, who is a parade-goer um, knows, it is a great place to catch um, a, a brass band or any musical um, you know, group that's going down the street. And so I started to think about the sounds of the city and how how a city um, might sound distinct from another city, and um, and what that might mean, and how people could um, could think about their city through the sounds that they associate with it. And then also about how young people might have a different take on what those sounds mean than you know than people that have that that have a more kind of fixed notion of what the city means for them. People who are maybe a little bit older. So that that was the, the sort of launching point for it. Um, yeah. Uh, but but okay. So but let, let me just step step back a little step. So you said you're you're fascinated with acoustic environments with the sounds. Why? Um, I mean, I'm a musician as well, and oh, um, okay. I, I don't know. I think that so a lot of my earliest memories are related to sound. I spend a lot of time growing up in, in Central America, and every time I hear, weirdly, a, a chicken or a, a donkey, I'm immediately, the sound of a donkey braying, I'm immediately transported back to that place. I think there's a lot of sounds, really ordinary sounds, that um, that trigger memories for people, Um and and that sound is like the, the audio environment has always been something really really compelling to me. So um, 
And and it turns out, you know, in our discussions with a lot of these young people that we worked with, it's not something that they initially thought of. But once we started talking about sound and how the city sounds and what those sounds mean, it, it really cracked open a, kind of a wealth of, of information. And, and people realized that they actually were experiencing the city quite differently based on where they lived and what they heard on a day-to-day basis. I, 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 I hear what you're saying. You know, I, I grew up on a very busy thoroughfare in the Bronx in New York and not far from the Yankee Stadium. And um, uh, one of the things that was always a, a, a factor of my childhood was literally I used to shop near at a shopping center near the Yankee Stadium. And there was nothing like hearing the roar of the crowd in the Yankee Stadium and knowing, oh, my God, somebody just hit a home run. Somebody just slid into third base. The bases are loaded, whatever. Um, sounds really do. They, they stick with us. And they have some association. I don't know if you know, but uh, there's a a really, I I find him to be a famous musician here, Clint Majum, who's of the Bingo Show. His story about um, him being inspired to create the music that he creates beyond the Bingo Show and Preservation Hall came from him delivering uh, uh, fried chicken from Fiorella's around the quarter, which I thought was the most interesting thing. But it's really cool how sounds incorporate your artist's uh, sort of inspiration and creativity. So so tell people what they can expect to see when they come into the third floor of the Myrtle Banks building in Central City starting Friday night. Friday night's your opening, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So um, there's a sculpture that's um, that's about about 30 inches tall, and it's about 12 feet long and 8 feet wide, and it's, it's, it's comprised of a series of metal plates. Um, and those plates are groupings of the wards of the city um, that we made and, and cut out of just kind of ordinary sheet metal. And they're suspended, um, or they're, they're suspended off the floor by these, these metal stands. And each of those plates is, uh, is sonically activated, I guess, by a, by a transducer, which is a piece of equipment. Like if you kind of imagine a, um, a speaker, but without the speaker cone, just a magnet. Um, so it's it's a device that they, they use them a lot actually now in home theater settings. What, what's it where called? The trans- will, the trans- will screw them to the underside of chairs so you get the bass rumble up through your chair. I mean, it, they're, they're using a lot of applications where transducer. people want to transfer vibration to architecture. Transducer. Um, I, I have to say that I never heard of a transducer before you showed me your work. That's right. That was at, uh, at the Tulane City Center prior to coming to us at the uh, Myrtle Banks building. Um, that that was my first time hearing that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's actually a technology that's been really expensive until recently. And, and Rick Snow is the he's the the Tulane professor. He's the one who really this is his practice in a lot of ways is sonifying metal through the use of this equipment. It's a um, fascinating idea, and I love the fact that you reached out to all the students to get them involved. And I I, I was reading their statements about their experiences going out and collecting the sounds and then and then feeding them into you. And so I love the fact that all, you brought in all the young people. And again, we would have been talking about the creativity of our people and how important it is to really nurture that. And so you did that as well. Jebney, I, I hope people will come and see you and meet you. And besides the opening night Friday, from what time to what time? Uh, six to nine. Six to nine this Friday night, the third floor of the Myrtle. 
guys, I want you to realize that the Myrtle Banks building, it's that big school just about two blocks away from Ashe Cultural Center and, and uh, Irvin Mayfield's Club, which is such a beautiful club. You need to go see that, too. But you really uh, want to know that even though it looks like it's closed because they don't open the front door on O.C. Haley Boulevard for various reasons yet, it's open. The the market is open. Come in the back door. Come in, do your gro- make your groceries, pick up a cocktail, have some delicious oysters at the Oyster Bar, and go see Jevney Lewis's beautiful piece that he did with um, Rick Snow and Christopher Stoddinger. And how many students were involved? There were about 40 students all told um, from a, a range of different um, different schools and different classes. Um, and I just wanted to say really quick, Gene, that the, the piece is really kind of a foil to, to, to drive people who come to see the show to the writings of these young people. And what's really been mind-blowing for us is to read some of the work that that uh, these guys have produced as a result of engaging in this project. Like, we're so grateful to them and to their willingness to engage, and it's been really eye-opening to see how young people think about the city. Exactly. That was one of the things that that blew me away, too. I mean, the whole uh, technology of what you've done blew me away, but also the work of the students was just incredible. I've got to run and get up to my doctor or else he's not going to take my stitches out. So I'm running out. Uh, Jebney, I'll see you on Friday night. Um, everybody listening, come see Jebney and this piece. And the, I'm sure a lot of your students will be there. So meet the students who worked on it. And we'll come back and do some more on you uh, before the show is over and talk about um, the whole technology of it. Maybe we'll even, uh, if you can organize to play some of it on the air, we'll do something with um, the music itself. How's that? Sounds good. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you soon, Friday night at Merle Banks Building, third floor. Bye. Bye, everybody.